0: to another episode of Money Talks. It's a hot topic of discussion as we record this. It's the big breaking story in the Premier League as today, as we record it on the 10th of March 2022, Chelsea Football Club's owner, Roman Abramovich, has been sanctioned by the British government. So this is a story with so many angles to it, so many layers to it. There's a lot to get stuck into. And when we've got a story this big, this complex, one with so many implications, who better to discuss it with than the one and the only Dave Henrik. How are you, Dave?
2: I'm good, mate. I'm good. I'm sure there's probably better people. I'm more here to pile pile, uh, kindling on the fire that is currently Chelsea Football Club. That's my role. I woke up this morning to a text from Eddie saying, can you do a Money Talks at Mo? I had no idea why. I opened Twitter and all hell broke loose. Uh, it was truly a thing to, uh, to witness.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, obviously I did a Money Talks, what, just a week ago? Or just over a week ago? Um, and that was to discuss uh, the story with uh, Matt Slater from The Athletic. And mm. At that point, you know, we, we were thinking that you know there could be sanctions coming into play, but the discussion was more around the sale and the fact that Abramovich should officially put the club up for sale a few days earlier, and you know, likely the likelihood of sanctions at that stage seemed possible, um, but certainly not to the extent where we thought. Okay, these sanctions are due any day now, but here we are. Sanctions have been being put in place, and um, you know, the government has been very clear about um, its stance on the whole situation in Ukraine. And they have sanctioned seven um, Russian individuals who are either residents of or do significant business in the United Kingdom. And we are, uh, just to kind of clarify, um, in a situation which is really unprecedented. Um, You know, this is a story where you know, people are asking questions and, you know, we don't have all of the answers. You know, there are, no. you know, things that, uh, you know, there are aspects to this story from a legal perspective um, that that even lawyers are, are kind of struggling to get to grips with. Because as I say, um, yes, there have been sanctions placed on companies, sometimes on individuals, um, but not to this scale, not to this extent. Um, So we will come into um, the implications of all of this in just a moment. But um, I just wanted to start with um,
2: some tweets from... Just before we start, Mo, what I would say to people, just for context and for a correct timeline, if you haven't listened to that Money Talks that Mo did with uh, Matt Slater from The Athletic, go and listen to that one first and it'll sort of give you Context around the sale and what was happening at the time, and then come back to this one so you you have the correct timeline of events you know with the new sanctions today.
0: absolutely yeah, well, worthwhile giving that a listen, a lot of the kind of backstory is laid out in that um, really well by uh, Matt Slater. now, the culture secretary here in the u k uh, Nadine Doris, who's largely a very loathsome individual um put out a number of tweets about um, this situation. Um, she talked about how uh, the attack on Ukraine has resulted in further sanctions against individuals linked to the Russian government, one of which is Roman Abramovich. Um, what she then went on to say is our priority is to hold those who have enabled uh, the Putin regime to account. Today's sanctions obviously have a direct impact on Chelsea and its fans. We have been working hard to ensure the club and the national game are not unnecessarily harmed by these important sanctions. So uh, she then went on to talk about how um, they would allow the club to fulfil its fixtures and staff can still be paid. Existing ticket holders can attend matches. But um, there will certainly be a very severe clamping down on what the club can and can't do. And we saw that just today with pictures from the club's shop at Stamford Bridge where the store had to literally close with with no notice. So they had to actually kick customers out of the shop as they were browsing um, to purchase Chelsea merchandise. And they then uh, printed off a grammatically incorrect um, notice, which they stuck on their um, shop door, And uh, that was to advise that they would be closed until further notice. Um, So already uh, the implications were being felt at that level. Um, but in terms of operations, um, as I understand it, um, the club can t- continue to pay players. They can fulfil its fixtures uh, for the time being. Um, those that have season tickets can still attend matches. But um, there is a freeze on transfers, which we'll come on to later on. Um, there is a freeze on um, other aspects of the club's operations involving finance. Um, there will certainly be uh, no ability for Abramovich to put any money towards the club's activities going forward, um, or certainly for the foreseeable future. Um, so Chelsea, as it has operated for the last nearly 20 years, uh, will not be able to operate to anywhere near the same extent. And, you know, there are severe implications of what money can come in, um, which may jeopardise the actual... Going concern principle where the club is concerned, which could even result in the club being forced into administration mm. so again, those are some of the things that we'll come on to in in just um a few moments but uh before we do dave um what are your kind of general thoughts about about this and what's happened to Chelsea as a football club i mean do do you think that this is something that um you know they've potentially had coming? do you think it's something that uh you know that their players their staff um will feel that they deserve i mean clearly the players and staff have nothing to do with what's going on abroad but the fact that Chelsea are where they are is very much linked to um the wealth of an individual that has had very close links to putin there's no denying that is there
2: no there's no denying it at all and i think it is worth pointing out that Roman Abramovich is a deplorable human being, whatever he may be as a football club owner. He is a deplorable human being who made his wealth through underhanded back-channel means. And that's not me speculating. That is something his solicitor admitted to in open court back in 2013, that he was part of a cabal of oligarchs who went to Boris Yeltsin and agreed to back him politically if he allowed them to cherry pick the mineral rights and you know natural resources of russia at well below what they were worth there's been countless other stories and tales of of abramovich and his his behavior and his actions there's no doubt that he is close to putin he has shown that repeatedly regardless of what he denies publicly we know that he bought chelsea for political purposes because when putin took office he started to go after the wealthy oligarchs who had basically asset stripped the country for their own their own gain and abramovich didn't want to be next on the hit list so he went and bought chelsea as a very public business to have himself attached to in the uk and give himself a buffer from Putin. He's since become closer to the Russian president. He is somebody who is involved in one way or another in funding this war on the Ukraine, and nobody should feel in any way sorry for him. Now, I do feel sorry for the regular day-to-day employees of Chelsea. I do have sympathy towards the players, but what I would also point out is there is not one single player at Chelsea Football Club, who would be there if it wasn't for Roman Abramovich. Because not just the players that they've bought, but the players that have come through that academy, who would not have been in that academy were it not for the money that Roman has put into that academy to enable it to grow to the size and status that it has, to have all those satellite pods around London, which Ryan Baldy details brilliantly in his book, The Dream Factory, Chelsea's academy would not be anywhere close to what it is now. They would not have the reach they have, and they would not have these players. These players would have gone to other academies like West Ham, like Arsenal, like Crystal Palace and Charlton, clubs that had more of a track record of producing Premier League-caliber players. Chelsea had only really produced, I mean, Jody Morris, uh, John Terry, and after that, I'm kind of struggling. You know, they weren't. I'm
0: club... sorry, I think even JT came from West Ham originally, if I'm not mistaken.
2: I believe so as well. And the thing with JT, remember, is he was on his way out the door before Roman brought, bought the club. They were selling him to try and balance the books. It's often forgotten that Chelsea were on the verge of administration when Roman bought the club. Uh, he paid, I believe, 140 million for the club, 120 million of which was to clear their debt. And while that wouldn't be a big debt now, it was a massive amount of debt back then that Chelsea, as a football club, could not afford to service. So, you know, the, everything that they have now, all the success—five league titles, two Champions Leagues, five FA Cups—I think it's three. Is it five FA Cups and three League Cups plus two two Europa Leagues? I think all of that is what they've won yeah. under him. All of that is because yeah. of him. Yeah. Without him, they're not this club. And their fans can fool themselves in whatever way they want. But at the end of the day, Chelsea were, for the majority of their history, an unremarkable mid-table club who had a little bit of success in the 70s. Then achieved nothing until the mid to late 90s when they won an FA Cup, a League Cup, a Cup Winners' Cup and whatever else. But in doing all of that, they spent themselves to the verge of oblivion. Then Roman swooped in, and then the rest is what we know. Chelsea were not this, you know, big, powerful, relevant club before him. The only way they got any kind of relevancy was spending way outside their means. And it does strike me like even with him leaving in whatever sense before these sanctions, that that was probably going to be what they'd go back to being because most of the people linked with buying the club were American. And there's multiple different types of owners, obviously, but Americans tend to come in two different guises. Now, they're all very much profit and loss orientated, but they either fall in the John Henry category where they're, from a business point of view, an absolutely outstanding owner. The club will never spend more than it makes, but the owner won't take any money out. He will appoint the best people. He'll happily spend money on, you know, on staff, on getting the best staff in place, even if he's not spending the money on getting the best players season after season. Hmm. Or, or there's the Glazers. And we've had both because we had Hicks and Gillette as well. And with the Glazers, again, they're profit and loss orientated. They put no money into the club, but they take a ton of it out. They appoint idiots and unqualified people who boost their egos. And so for Chelsea... They either get a John Henry type and they have to function like Liverpool function. But the problem for them is they don't have anywhere close to the income that we have. So they can't compete for titles and Champions Leagues. They'd be competing for fourth and, you know, domestic cups. Or they get the Glazers, a version of the Glazers, which, you know, could be. Vivek Renadivi or Woody Johnson, two players who've been linked to buying the club, both of whom are idiots, both of whom are terrible sports owners, both of whom will take money out of the club, appoint buffoons. Like Renadivi would be the type who'd appoint John Terry to some very important role, mm. you know, to a, a real decision-making role, and then leave him there for years after it becomes clear he can't do it just because he thinks it buys him some gravitas with the fans and if they get that type of American owner, they're staring right down the barrel of being a mid table team.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that, that's something we'll, we'll come back to uh, a little bit later on in terms of the fact that, as I said earlier, Abramovich did put the club up for sale, likely sensing that um, it was more a question of when, run, if sanctions would be imposed. So,
2: can I read you something here? This is from Eddie. Eddie sent me this earlier on, and I think it's the best take I've heard, and then I'll let you go. Uh, he said, my own take for what it's worth. I would think as soon as statement one, which was the one about the stewardship, came out from Rome, and he'd been told sanctions were coming. So he had to do something or he'd lose the club. When they realized the stewardship situation wasn't going to work because those said stewards pushed back and were like, hang on a second, don't involve us in this. He releases statement two, which is the one about selling up. He was probably told he had about four to six weeks to get the club sold, but then the UK government would have to sanction him if Putin was still in Ukraine. Roman then realizes how hard it is to sell a three billion pound asset quickly. And remember as well, the club itself is not worth three billion. Forbes values them at two point five billion dollars. Any other valuation you'll find has them about 1.5 to 1.8 million pounds. He's looking for 3 billion. Because regardless of what he says, he wants to recoup the money he's put into the club, the $1.5 he's pumped in. Then Putin starts bombing kids' hospitals. And now the UK government don't have any choice. They have to sanction So he was trying to sell it on the quick. That wasn't really an option because you just can't make that kind of transaction very quickly. We both witnessed how the UFC sale went and how long that took to get through the different red tape even in a good situation for both seller and buyer, that took months. This was going to take months. And unfortunately for Roman, Putin went and bombed some kids' hospitals and the UK government had to sanction him. So I think Eddie's right. I think he knew this was coming. He tried to weasel out of it. Then he tried to manufacture a quick sale. And when none of that was possible and Putin did what he did, he got screwed and he deserved it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yes, um, as I said, there are many angles to this, and one of those is to do with the subject of transfers, uh, but also with contract renewals. So, as I noted earlier, the club um, essentially now has uh, been placed on a transfer embargo. They cannot do any player trading as such, um, so they they cannot um, either acquire player registrations, in other words, sign players, or even sell them. Um, because that would mean money coming into the club. Um, and, and that is something that obviously uh, the Treasury um, part of the British government is cracking down on completely. So their hands are really tied on that front. But even when it comes to contract renewals, I mean, just listen to this. Just this summer alone, the club has, I think it's six, no five players whose contracts are ending in just over three months. Um, including arguably their three best defenders. So Cesar Aspiliceta, Antonio Rudiger, Andreas Christensen, um, Saul, and also uh, Charlie Musonda, who, um who is more a peripheral
2: player. Poor Charlie um, Musonda. When they bought him, he was like the next big thing. And he's just <laughs> had about 18 different loans. But you're right, losing those three defenders, like that's catastrophic if they can't then go because Roman's not putting any more money in, regardless. Sanctions could be lifted tomorrow. He's put the, the club are getting sold regardless. That's the only way sanctions get lifted is if he agrees to the sale. So he's not putting any more any more money, money in. To replace two starting defenders like Christensen and Rudiger, you're easily talking £100 million. And because they're a very silly club, they sold Gwehi and Tomori, who'd be the ideal replacements. And they just don't have a way to replace those players if they leave for free, which it would seem they will now. And the thing for those players as well like, we've heard little from Rudiger or Christensen or about about their situations, whether they're going to stay or go. It's been a lot of scuttlebutt and reporting by, you know, questionable journalists. But if those players had been leaning towards leaving, but we're a little bit worried about any blowback from the fans between now and the end of the season. Well, now, don't they have the perfect cover to just sign on the dotted line for other clubs? Christensen for Barcelona, Rudiger for PSG or wherever it is he'll go, Aspie for Barcelona. Just put their hands up and say, well, we, we, were, we wanted to stay, but the club couldn't offer us a new contract and we have to protect our own futures and look after our family. So now we've signed these contracts. I think we might see the pace picking up on the those three contract situations and we might find that they're all signed, sealed and delivered elsewhere within the next fortnight.
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, already, as of January, they were able to actually sign these pre-agreements with clubs abroad outside of England. Um so clearly that, that will be accelerated or be sensible for their agents to accelerate that um, conversation with clubs that might be interested in them. And they should be interested in all three. Um, Saul, I mean, he, obviously he's not uh, officially a Chelsea player. He was on loan. Um, but, um, you know, the, the likelihood was he was going to go back to Athleti, um or athletes were going to be selling him on um, one way or another. He wasn't almost certainly going to be re- remaining at Chelsea anyway. Um, But then if you look at contracts that are coming up uh, with one year to go um, from June, um, again, there's some big players there. um, Thiago Silva, uh, Jorginho, uh, Marcus Alonso, uh, N'Galo Kante. And then, you know, a couple of lesser players in Ross Barkley, who's obviously still a very good player, but certainly um, seen as a peripheral player um, within the grand scheme of things at Chelsea. Uh, Bettinelli and uh, Kennedy so this this is the situation that we have where Chelsea might see a depletion of their squad where they can't then um fill those gaps with um suitable incomings and um they might you know if they are allowed to uh, operate going into the next season assuming that they are even allowed to complete this season if they are in a position to operate next season and Abramovich is still clinging on to this club, um, that they may be a, a squad which is looking very unrecognisable almost to what we currently find.
2: Oh, without, without question. And then you have to start asking yourself, what about those 2024 players? Because all of a sudden they become very, very interesting cases if this rumbles on, where Chelsea might have to sell them to A, replenish the squad, and B, avoid the risk that they look at their situation this summer and go, I've got two years left. This doesn't seem like it's going to be a lot of fun for the next two years. Do I really want to hang around long-term and play for a team that isn't going to be competitive? So Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic will be the two kind of big 2024 players. Do they start to angle for moves away? And do Chelsea start to entertain the idea of selling them? Because selling Mount this summer would probably help you fill your centre-back spots. And you can probably make do without Mason Mount when you have Kovacic, Kante, Jorginho, Loftus-Cheek and a few others in midfield. And then in, in attack, you've got Pulisic, you could keep him. You've got uh, hudson Doy, Havertz, Werner, Lukaku, and then obviously the youngsters like Harvey Vale and that. Like it, it may really become a thing where the idea of Mason Mount leaving Chelsea is not just pie in the sky. It might actually be something that Chelsea have to do to replenish other areas of their squad. Because when you look through their squad, it's not as if there's a whole lot of players there that you could sell for mega money. You know, those three defenders you've covered, you're, you're not getting money for them. You're not getting money for Thiago Silva. Uh, Chaliba's not bringing a big fee. He's a good young player. He's not a great young player. Um, you'll lose money on what you paid for Chilwell. Reese James would bring a big fee, obviously. He's he's a talent. Um, Kante and Jorginho, one year left, both 30 plus. You're not getting big money for them. You could sell Kovacic, but what will you get? The 40 million you paid, maybe a little bit more? Lukaku's value has plummeted. I would suggest that Havertz, despite a Champions League winning goal, his value has dropped. Werner's has hit the floor. Hudson odoi you've just developed so poorly that you might get 35, 40 million, but I doubt that's I, I would I doubt it will be any more. Pulisic, again, his value will have dropped since you bought him. And again, you you still owe money out on a lot of these players as well. Whereas with, with Mason Mount, he's a homegrown player, an England regular, came through your academy, everything you sell him for is profit. If an offer pops up of eighty, ninety, a hundred million, it might be in their best interest to consider selling him, especially when it's not just the financial hit from players leaving for free and things like that, it's the other areas where their income is going to take a big, big
0: hit? It will, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and we'll come on to those in just a moment. But uh, the kind of final point I wanted to make in terms of players um, and also about contracts um, is we will also almost certainly see an impact on the academy. So we know that the Chelsea-operated model is very much relying on stockpiling of players um, and then sending masses on loan each season to generate um, loan fees, which are substantial for Chelsea. But then on top of that, um, selling these players on when they serve no further purpose. And, and that is something that has generated Chelsea more money than any other Premier League club. Um, so the academy is something that, you know, There's many things you can talk about in terms of the way they operate that and how they have chewed up and spat out many a very promising player over the last 15 years. Um, But on top of that, you also have the women's team, which again has had a significant amount of money, relatively speaking, pumped into it. And again, almost certainly that will see um, some adverse effects of all of this that's going on. And, And that squad will also potentially be um, in, in a really bad state um, mm. by the end of the summer. Um, but the final point I just wanted to make um, on, on this contract situation is something that I talked about with Matt Slater um, in my money talks last week, which was about the potential for players to argue that uh, the club is in breach of contract were sanctions to be placed. And it's interesting that um, one agent already, as I understand it, Has come out to uh, um, suggest that his player is at the moment locked in. So the implication being that that agent and potentially other agents of other uh, players who are tied to the club for one, two, three, four years might already be looking at ways in which they can get their players out of the club and move them on to other clubs. So, so that again is something that the club will be very worried about because you know if there's any effects from these financial sanctions um, that the club is having to operate under, then, um, you know, the the, the the agents could argue, well, look, um, there's been this breach or that breach, no matter how small or technical, and it might be difficult for Chelsea to then argue it in court because um, their, their, their activities will be so limited, they may not even be in a financial position to go and pay um, lawyers to defend themselves in court should players just simply say, right, you've breached my contract, I'm off. So so, so this, these are the so, sort of practical implications which could have a huge mm. bearing on, on, on this club.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, the, the contract thing is interesting. So at the moment, we have a situation in Russia and the Ukraine where overseas players have been told, you're now free to go and sign for somebody else until June and 5th Pro are pushing for these players to all be released from their contracts and allowed to go and sign somewhere permanently. Now, obviously that's very unfair on those clubs that would lose the players. The most recent example of a breach of contract situation where players left a club for free and signed elsewhere is, of course, Sporting Lisbon, Mm. where Raphael Leao and Rui Patricio and others left the club, went and signed elsewhere. What's happened since is Sporting have gone to the court of arbitration for sport and been able to successfully argue that these players should not have been allowed to leave for free and they've gotten back fees. Now, not fees that represented the full value of the player, but certainly far better than nothing. You would imagine that's the same thing that would happen in Russia and Ukraine, if especially in Ukraine, where like, hang on, we got invaded, so our players were allowed leave. Like, yep. that would definitely happen. With Chelsea, I would imagine it would possibly end up the same way. But like you've said, how do they have the – they don't have the, the, the financial capability to go and argue the, these things in a court of law because of the sanctions and restrictions they're now under. Like, there's just no premise for them to be able to take the multi-millions of pounds it would require – to go and argue every single case should this happen. So I do think that's something to keep an eye on. I think it's probably far-fetched in that mm. I think most of the players will probably just say, look, we're fine. You might get one or two that will kick up a fuss, and if that's the case, then we'll see what happens. But most of them, I think, will will probably be diligent, diligent enough in their sort of public support of the club, even if privately they're saying other things. What is interesting is what you said about the academy, though, and the women's team. Now, the women's team, I don't know much about. It's not something I follow, but I have noticed uh, a big growth in the amount of times I hear about Chelsea's women's team. But Chelsea's academy is something I've done quite a lot of looking into over the years. and It is, without question, the best academy in Europe. There is absolutely no doubt that when it comes to producing players, Chelsea's academy stands a level above everybody else. And just to give people an example of this, okay? If you were to put together a just academy Chelsea team, you would, you would have to find a goalkeeper because it's the one area that they haven't produced, which funnily enough is the same as us. We haven't produced a good goalkeeper either, but you could have a back three of Reece James, Fakayo and Mark Way, two of whom are England internationals. The other one will be an England international. Tariq Lamptey and Tino Livramento as your wing backs. Two of the most exciting young wing backs in the Premier League. In midfield, you'd have Conor Gallagher, who's having a storming season for uh, for Crystal Palace. You could have Declan Rice. Now he did leave before he graduated the academy, so. On a technicality, you could leave him out, but he is former Chelsea Academy. But they also have both Chalaba brothers and Billy Gilmore that you could pop in there. There's Mason Mount, obviously, Tammy Abraham as a striker, and Armando Brogia currently tearing things up for Southampton. You've also got Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Young Harvey Vale, Tino Anderin, uh, Ola Ena, Jamal Musiala currently starring for Bayern Munich, Andreas Christensen, and your backup goalkeeper, or if you were stuck at it, you need the starter, Etheridge from or formerly of Cardiff. I don't know where he is now. He's a decent enough keeper. So that 11 with a decent goalkeeper and that, then that group of subs, that's easily a top seven team in the Premier League. Like yeah. Their academy has produced that over the last five, six years. The oldest player there is probably 24, 25. So the last six, seven years, all of which is funded by Abramovich. Now, the question will be, when a new owner takes over, will they see the benefit in continuing continuing to plough that money into the academy? Or will they make the decision, if they're a Glazers type, to cut corners because we've seen it with the Glazers look at their infrastructure at United the stadium hasn't been upgraded the academy hasn't been upgraded the training ground hasn't been upgraded all three are now outdated they were spectacular in the mid 2000s they're now outdated and well behind what Liverpool, City, Arsenal Tottenham and uh, Chelsea can all offer except for Chelsea Stadium which is obviously another issue we should talk about at some point but Will they see the benefit in continuing to pump that money in? Or will they say, well, why do we have all of these satellite academies? Let's just focus on our main academy and not see the bigger picture, which is those satellite academies extend your radius for targeting players and mean that you get players into your academy that normally you shouldn't be able to touch, a lot of whom are these players I've just listed out. but." If they do that and they cut back, all of a sudden Chelsea will also lose this massive pool of talent that they've been picking away at for years, producing these players. Tomore brought them 25 million. Guehi, the same. Lamptey and Livermento, I think, was about five million each. Rice brought nothing, obviously, because he left he, he was he was um terminated from the, the academy because they didn't feel he was good enough. Gallagher, if he leaves the summer, that's 40 million. Abraham bought 40. Broja, if he leaves this summer, you'd expect 40. Uh Solanke ran out his contract, so that's that. Uh one of the chalabas brought, I think, five. Aina brought eight. And I think Etheridge brought two. So, like that's a lot of money. And that's not an exhaustive list. There's others you could go through as well. But it just does go to show how much money they've made just from that academy, how much can be made from operating your academy that way or, or the other option is that an owner like a John Henry would look at it and say hang on a second why don't we just produce our own team like what? why isn't this what we do let's put that team on the pitch and let's develop them for a couple of years and And in truth that team James, Tomori, Guehi, Lamptey, Livermore, Gallagher, Rice, Mount, Abraham and Brohia You put that team together for two years, let them to develop. That's a top four team. Talent-wise, that's top four.
0: Very
2: strong. They might look at it that way and say, well, hang on, we don't need to buy players. We'll buy one or two here and there to supplement. But we'll just go the academy route. We'll put more money into the academy. But obviously the question mark will be, how does that function in the short term when Chelsea are under these sanctions. Are they, like, they're not going to be able to pump in as much money as they have been. They're not going to be able to extend the academy as they've been planning to do. And um, they're basically building an M25 of academies around London. But, you know, it, it, short term, it may have a hit. Long term, it could be the biggest, the biggest benefit of the club. But it would also limit the ceiling of the club in that while that group might get you fourth, might win you an FA Cup or a Europa League, it's likely not winning you a Premier League or a Champions League, which is what Chelsea, of course, have become used to.
0: They have, absolutely. And just just on the academy, I mean, one of the things that has really benefited the the success and the fact that it's almost been a factory of churning out fantastic talent is the fact that for quite a number of years, they have had a policy of paying well over the odds for, uh, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. I mean, there've been 16-year-olds on, you know, six seven eight grand a week contracts Mm. um you know and uh now that's the the type of thing that liverpool for example decided to move away from several years ago when they um imposed a maximum forty thousand a year contract for players below it i think it was 16 and under Um, in fact it might have been 17 or 18 and under um so they are operating in a more sustainable way whereas Chelsea's wage bill for its academy will be significantly above that of other rival clubs in the Premier League, with the possible exception of Manchester uh, Manchester City. And that, again, is something that new ownership, if they were to come in, would likely re- review and possibly veer away from. So whilst yeah. you know, it, it is something that is successful and operates well, the whole stockpiling, um, the excessive wages... Uh, would certainly be something that new owners would potentially look to address. But then on top of that, um, there are also sanctions being put in place by FIFA around how many players a a single club can put out on loan at any given time. Um, So again, that is a big uh, effect when it is uh, implemented on the Chelsea Academy model.
2: Oh, massively so. so. Massively so. And if you look at the moment... Chelsea have in total five ten twelve they've twenty four players currently out on loan twenty four players now that pales in comparison to Man City, but that is a spectacular number of players to have out on loan, and like you said, one of the big things they've been they've been doing and they've been doing it a long time because I remember Liverpool played Chelsea in a I think it was an under-18s match at the time. And Nathaniel Chalaba was in the Chelsea team. So I think he's about 27 now. So you're probably looking 9, 10 years ago. And I remember there was a big fuss made over the fact that at that point, he was earning 5 grand a week as a 17-year-old. And then Loftus-Cheek, a couple of years later, he was earning about 10 grand a week as a... An under 18, under 21 type of player who hadn't made a first team appearance yet. So, you know, this is a practice that has regularly taken place at Chelsea for a long time. Man City do something similar. Um, You know, Tosin Adarabayo, who plays for Fulham, if you think back about four or five years ago when he was in, in City's academy, there was a big story. Now it was the Daily Mail, admittedly, but there was a big story on the front page of the Daily Mail, that he had bought a house in Manchester for his family for over a million pounds. This was an academy player buying a house for over a million pounds. So he was clearly earning a substantial wedge of money at that point as well. So this is something these clubs have done. It has enabled them to bridge the gap in terms of becoming attractive to players. Well, the money is what's attractive, not the club itself. Um, if you speak to anyone, they will tell you that Arsenal have the best coaching at an academy level because they invest more in coaches. Chelsea's big ability is the catchment area that they've created for themselves. Mm. So, and the fact that they can pay the best wages to these young players, many of whom growing up in inner city London in impoverished areas, are more than happy to take that money as a 16, 17-year-old even if it's not necessarily the best decision for their career, it's the best decision for their family in the here and now. And if Chelsea can't do that, which, as you said, if, if a smart owner comes in, or if even a stupid owner comes in, they're probably going to look at it and go, well, we're not playing that. That's, that's ridiculous. Why are we paying that kind of money? What do Liverpool pay? Liverpool pay 40 grand a year, and we're paying 40 grand a month. That's going to get cut back. That's going to be a big effect on that academy, unless unless you get a situation where the, the ownership thinks this is our path to building the best possible team. We then control the players from an early age. We have them, you know, growing up as Chelsea footballers. It means that we can control their contracts easier. We're not having to buy them at 19, 20, 21 on a hundred grand a week or 200 grand a week like Kai Havertz. So, the second contract is two fifty and then three hundred and so on. We get them in at sixteen on ten at eighteen they go to twenty at twenty, maybe they go to fifty at twenty three they go to a hundred and then all of a sudden you've got you know a massive amount of money saved as opposed to when you buy players in at eighteen ninety for big money on big wages
0: totally yeah yeah it's um, something that's you know is being very pivotal to the chelsea model because they're operating losses so this is before you factor in player trading there's been 1.4 billion pounds over the last 10 years 1.4 billion so that shows the extent to which chelsea are a dependent on that model of selling players and stockpiling because they do play trading like no other club in the Premier League. Um, but on top of that, um, investment from the owner over the last three years, he's invested from his own pocket through the parent company of Chelsea Football Club, Fordstrom, um, with Forstrum being basically the front for Abramovich, close to 300 million. And over the duration of his ownership, it has been... billion. So, if you take away that in owner investment, and if you at the least curtail player trading, then it shows just how seriously up shit Creek Chelsea Football Club really are. Speaking of which, let's move on to the impact on some of their other revenue streams and let's start with commercial. Then, so as we record this, um, just moments before we started uh news broke that uh 3 had suspended its sponsorship of Chelsea effective immediately and have told the club basically that the fixture that they are to play tonight uh, mm. as we recall this versus Norwich they are not allowed to uh feature the 3 logo on the front of the shirt so i can just uh, see some of the, the Chelsea kit man scurrying for some blue tape or something to cover up that three, like going across he's got, um, 20
2: shirts. <laughs> he's got one or two options. He can either go to a hardware store and get some blue electrical tape yeah. and tape over, which is what Schalke had to do when they decided to suspend things with Gazprom. They taped over and then put Schalke 04 across it. Or he can get himself down to the local sports direct there in Norwich and, uh, and buy himself <clears throat> 20 or 25 uh Chelsea kits without the the logo on them. That is basically their options because they have left London with kit bags full of full of uh kits with the, the three logo on the front of them. And this has obviously come as a surprise to a lot of people. Uh not not to anybody in the grand scheme of things because I think it was obvious that Chelsea would, would lose some of these sponsorship deals. It is a 23-minute walk or an 11-minute drive from Carrow Road to the Sports Direct in Norwich. So, you know, that, that's that's doable. <laughs> we'll get yourself down there. Mm-hmm, uh, there's probably plenty of hardware stores in Norwich as well. So, you know, those, those are basically their options for tonight. But the bigger picture here is that's a £40 million a year partnership. Oh, Which, yeah. and the thing is, if three decide to walk away from it, who's going to step into that breach? Who wants to be associated with that club right now? Mm. And when one does it, it opens the floodgates. So it, I, I don't know who Chelsea's sleeve sponsor is. Is it is it that tire brand? Uh, no,
0: it's uh, it's Hyundai. Hyundai. And um they already put a statement out earlier today saying that they are reviewing quote unquote that sponsorship deal and that's worth six million. But given three have acted already, mm. it'd be no surprise whatsoever for Hyundai to pull their six million a year sponsorship deal for the sleeve. And their, And then so,
2: there's the big one. Yes. Then there's the big one. What what do Nike do? Now, Stan Collymore always uh, always <laughs> Always on the the wind up with somebody has tweeted hi Nike, as one of your as one of the world's biggest corporate virtue signalers, sports man- slash sports manufacturers, are you going to continue to be Chelsea's kit suppliers? Now we have seen Nike suspend relationships with certain parties that don't need to be named here in recent months over things that have happened. But I mean, I I don't have the numbers to hand. You might. What do Nike pay them every year? It's got to be in the 60 million range.
0: Yeah. 60 million a year. So So, 60
2: million from them, 40 million from uh, three, 6 million from Hyundai. That's 106 million a year on that kit. And these boys could end up running around a bunch of blue (laughs) t-shirts.
0: And and on top of that, their training kit uh, deal with Trivago is 10 million a year. So, if, as is very plausible, in the next 24, 48 hours, all four companies walk, that is 116 million of their 154 million of commercial revenue gone straight away. Mm. And a lot of the other remaining um, 38 million pounds is from other sponsors. And if the majority or all of them walk, then they are really in a very, very problematic situation because don't forget you know this sponsorship income is quite a key factor in being able to even afford to pay the wages of the players and you know as we've seen from the set of accounts that were released um their wages to turnover ratio is 77 percent. so for every pound that the club generates 77 pence of that goes towards paying um players and other staff so Mm. with sponsorship income being close to or in fact in fact over a third of their revenue for the last full complete season of 2021 if you take nearly all of that away they are really in a difficult position to be even able to fulfil its obligations of paying its staff and again that goes back to uh, the point i raised earlier around then moving into the territory of potential contract breaches because if they Are unable to pay everyone's wages, and they defer. Then you know some players may take that as enough reason to uh, essentially say, right, you've breached the contract. We are on our way to X, Y, and Z club down the road. So that is a big, big impact. Is the potential for all of these sponsorship deals, or certainly the majority of them, uh, to fall
2: by the wayside? And it certainly looks And, and, and the thing is, Mo even if, if the sanctions get lifted, if all of these companies walk away, Chelsea are still going to be a little bit toxic. Okay. In which case, the, the deals that will follow are probably going to be of a much smaller nature because one of the reasons that 3 and Nike and Hyundai and Travago pay so much money for these deals is that Chelsea play in the Champions League and Chelsea are regularly competing for titles, and there's a lot of buzz around Chelsea. If Chelsea fall back from there, because financially, I think I'm right in saying, Chelsea are a lot closer to your Spurs and your Arsenal than they are to Liverpool and the Manchester clubs. Yeah, and yeah. if if their finances shrink even further and they can't buy players they have to sell some players to balance books and whatever else well all of a sudden top 4 is is a is a challenge for them so if if you're not guaranteed top 4 every season which chelsea basically have been since roman took over i think they've only missed it twice well isn't that going to have a big effect on your ability to go to potential commercial partners and say well look your your logo will be associated with a club Who are in the Champions League? Instead, it'll be, well, we'll be in the Europa League some years and the Europa Conference League others. So, how much do you want to give us? Instead of 60 million, it could be that, I don't know, Puma turn around and say, well, we'll give you 30 million. Mm -hmm. Instead of 40 million from three, it might be that, I don't know, some company will come in and say, well, we'll give you 20 million because we look at you as the number six club in England now because you're not as big as Liverpool, Arsenal, United. You've fallen behind Spurs and City. Well, City obviously have cooked their books, but whatever. They can find ways to get money in. But do you know what I mean? Like, Not just the loss of these deals because, for example, if Standard Charter decided tomorrow, oh, we just can't be bothered with Liverpool anymore. We're going to just bin that off. They would be queuing up to get their logos on the front of the Liverpool jersey because of what Liverpool is as a footballing institution. They won't be queuing up to get their logos on the front of Chelsea's jerseys because no one wants to be associated with that stink. And if three did pull the plug, we might see a situation where Chelsea play next season without a front of of shirt sponsor, even under new ownership.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. And... uh... This, this is why the um, <laughs> fans are absolutely in meltdown as we record this because, you know, it's just one thing after another. It's about, you know, players possibly walking, certainly those that have their contracts coming to an end in three months almost certainly gone um, at the end of the season. Um, and then, you know, there's other factors too. So let, let's then move on to um, broadcast revenue. So we... Again, I'm a bit unsure about how this exactly could pan out, but um, you know there there are obligations on the likes of UEFA and also the Premier League to pass on uh, broadcast revenue to Chelsea Football Club. However, um, it's yet to be seen as to what extent um, they'll be able to continue with that, um, because the actual uh, statements from the government don't make it entirely clear. So I'd imagine that for the time being they should be okay, but um, if if Roman continues to cling on to this club and is hell-bent on trying to see out this whole conflict and then aiming to sell the club and making his money back at the very least, if not more, um, then there could be further sanctions imposed. Let, let's not rule that out as well. I mean, yes, they are able to operate at the moment, but if broadcasters are prohibited through the Premier League and UEFA from paying the club because it's money coming in to an asset owned by a Putin ally. And that, again, has serious repercussions for the club. And, you know, as somebody, um, I think, speculated earlier today, you know, something like that alone could put the club into administration.
2: Yes, so I saw this tweet. Actually, I think Eddie shared it with me. Um, earlier today from Ed Thompson who runs financialfairplay.co.uk and what he said was the Chelsea FC holding company owes Roman Abramovich 1.5 billion that's now frozen and I don't believe he can write it off at this time even if he wants to so no one will buy the club with that hanging over it the club is loss making anyway and is about to become a lot more loss making uh, based on what we're seeing with three and potentially with Nike and the rest. So for what it's worth, I expect I expect the club to go into administration. Now, he's not one for hyperbole or overreactions or hot takes. And he points out that when Southampton's holding club or holding company went into administration, Southampton were docked points. So, look, docking of points for Chelsea won't affect their status in the Premier League, but it could very well affect their status in the Premier League or in the Champions League. Now, in all likelihood, that would happen for next season, not this season. So they'd be in the Champions League next season. But to, to start a season with a 12-point deduction and then have to compete with Arsenal, United, Spurs, West Ham for that third and fourth place spot behind Liverpool and City, That's a big, big disadvantage.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, And, you know, it certainly mean top four would be not impossible to achieve, but highly unlikely. And, you know, there'd be, uh, again, again, an increased likelihood of, you know, staring at relegation if, you know, key players move on. And obviously, there are three key players that almost certainly will be going in the next several months. Um, But even other players on top of that whose contracts end in just over a year's time, and even those that might be ending in a couple of years' time. And again, especially if um, they can successfully argue um, that contracts have been breached. So, you know, there is that serious threat. It's highly unlikely as that may have seemed even a week or two ago, um, you know, this is all becoming. You know, very, very plausible with almost every passing hour as more and more um, layers are added to this story. Um, mm. So, just uh, covering a, a final revenue stream, and, and that's match day. So, as I touched upon earlier, season ticket holders are still allowed to attend, um, but the implication being that um, general ticket sales would come to a, a halt. Now, That will be just part of the effect on match day revenue because, again, in terms of practical implications, we already know that the club shop isn't allowed to operate. Even things like um, sale of hot dogs and drinks are likely to be prohibited, so the club may not be allowed to
2: even… No, they have to provide some sort of refreshments. Ah, okay. They'll be allowed to sell some things. It may just be that they're allowed to sell bottled water and, like, pre-packed sandwiches or something. Really cheap, that's not going to, but yeah, it, it is going to have a massive impact there. And here's a question for you, Mo. We know that if Manchester City, for example, were only allowed to let season ticket holders into the stadium at the Etihad, where I believe they claim to have over 30,000 season ticket holders, if only season ticket holders were to show up at a city game, there'd probably be about 15,000 people in a stadium. Do you think it will be something similar at Chelsea, where I believe the number they claim is somewhere in the region of about 28,000? How many of them are real season ticket sales, and how many of them are to made up fictions of the club's mind?
0: <laughs> well, I, I imagine that st- some of that will be um, tickets that may not be owned by actual real fans, um, but probably not to the same extent as. I would suggest uh, is the case at Manchester City, who expanded their stadium when there was no demand for additional tickets, and they went from about forty-seven thousand to fifty-five, I think it was, and they clearly struggled to sell those tickets for nearly every game. But I think uh, at Chelsea, um, there will be a fair number of season ticket holders who um, do not live in in, in London or even in the UK, who may, um, you know, sell their tickets for certain matches through third parties, uh, which, which has been the case with Liverpool, for example. Um, so, though that won't be prohibited because it's something that is independent of the club, uh, nonetheless, you know, we, we could see, generally speaking, for the remaining home fixtures, fewer fans within the stadium than would normally be the case. But you know, just going back in terms of match day revenue, to one of the points you raised earlier, which was about the club's plans to move to either a new stadium or to build on the site of uh, Stamford Bridge. Um, The last thing that we ever heard about this was that the club wanted to build a sixty thousand-seater stadium at a cost of over a billion pounds, um, and that was in 2017-18, and that was pulled when Abramovich had certain restrictions placed on him four years ago by the British government, which caused him to stop coming to the UK, pretty much stopped attending Chelsea matches, and um Sir Conan and is Ray Passports and has largely lived there um for ma- the majority of the last four years. Um so, you know, in retaliation for um certain uh Scrutiny at the very least that existed at that time four years ago, he shelved those plans um, for that stadium, and uh, that is clearly something that will not be delivered by Roman Abramovich. But given the rising cost of construction, given it was one billion only four uh, four years ago before massive inflation in construction over the last several years, that stadium would be creeping up towards one point five billion. Yeah. So again, what is the likelihood of owners coming in? and wanting to spend that level of money.
2: See, this is what I've said from day one. As soon as he announced that the club was for sale, this Mm. was one of my points. If you're coming in to buy Chelsea at the, the three to three and a half billion that Roman allegedly wants, number one, you're overpaying for an asset that is very unlikely to ever give you a return on said asset. But number two, you're also going to have to pay for a new stadium. Now because of the weird ownership situation over Chelsea Stadium where I believe it's something along the lines of Roman owns the stands but the some supporters trust own the pitch. So therefore it couldn't be so... Because there was a, a big worry that originally when Roman arrived one of his plans was to sell Stamford Bridge for development because as development for apartments and office buildings it's worth a couple of billion so this is why it was split up like that it might have even been when Ken Bates was there um so you can't just go and sell that plot of land you can't really extend Stamford Bridge because of how it's located there isn't really there isn't really a situation that works to extend it bar spending a fortune to buy up Properties around the club, which obviously Liverpool have done to extend Anfield, but it's far cheaper to buy, you know, a row of terraced houses in Liverpool than what's around Chelsea, given where they're located. So you're talking about another billion and a half to come in and build a stadium, which is needed because their matchday income pales in comparison to United and Liverpool and Arsenal and Spurs, who all have. Much bigger stadiums and to City who cook their books and let on that they sell 4,000 pound pies to people in, you know, hospitality suites. So, this is also a big factor. Like, it's also something that needs to be taken into account for any new buyer. Like, are they going to build a new stadium? Because if they don't, and Chelsea are limited to staying at the bridge, it itself still needs. Some updating and some modernising, and some improvement that Roman pushed off for years, not because he was being cheap, because no one would would uh, accuse him of that, but because he had plans to go and build a brand new stadium, state of the art, best of everything. And when that didn't happen, the bridge just sort of fell by the wayside. Now, I haven't been at the bridge in about I think it's six years since the last time I was there, but it, it was it was not a particularly enjoyable experience. Like they're very short on amenities and facilities there, things that you take for granted at, you know, other London stadiums, such as the London stadium or the Tottenham stadium, or even the Emirates, do you know? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's certainly um, lagging behind, not only in terms of capacity, but certainly facilities. And, um, you know, that is something that, with the club almost inevitably moving hands from Abramovich to new owners at some point, it's more a question of when than if. With the rising cost of construction and the likelihood of the type of owners that might come in to Chelsea, um, a- any chances of moving into a brand new 60,000-seat stadium um, certainly see- appear to be very slim and they may be stuck with Stamford Bridge uh, for quite some time. But um, to conclude on this podcast, Dave, um, let's just go back to the uh, discussion around the sale of the club. So, mm. as I noted, you know we are aware that Abramovich put the club up for sale officially last week, and there was reported interest. So as I talked about with Matt Slater, um, you know there are parties that have been circling around looking to get a deal done, albeit nowhere for nowhere near the £3 billion that Abramovich should value the club and certainly now that he has been imposed with sanctions by the British government, then there's clearly no chance of him um, being able to generate anywhere near that kind of money and in fact the club, it's, uh, sorry, the sale itself would not be allowed as things stand to see any proceeds of a sale go towards Abramovich. So if the club um, were to be sold, it is entirely possible that the british government may look to um seize proceeds from sale uh, for their own purposes mm. that, that that is one of the possibilities from from that scenario and they also have noted um through uh, sources that um, they may need to grant an additional license so they've granted a license to the club a special license for it to operate and because normally when assets are frozen Nothing can take place, nothing can occur. But because of Chelsea being a football club and being seen as a cultural asset, um, they've been granted a special license to continue to operate, albeit on a very severely limited ability to just operate matches and to be able to pay players, etc. But when it comes to a stale, you know, we may even be in the realm of owners being able to purchase the club for a very nominal figure and um Abramovich potentially having no say in what that might be so really uh, what others um, on social media have really talked about today is about well is Abramovich somebody that is willing to give the club up essentially for free to walk away from the club without getting a penny of any proceeds uh, if that is the case, there th- is certainly a likelihood that the club can go back to normal operations sooner or later. But if Abramovich is hell-bent on getting some money out of any potential sale, and is willing to try and stick with it as long as possible, the longer it goes, the worse it is for Chelsea. But yeah. if there is a sale, if there is a sale, um, the owners almost certainly. Will not be looking to operate the club in the way that Abramovich has, which is to pump many, many millions of their own personal wealth into the operations of the club. And so that is the thing that ultimately Chelsea fans will have a really hard time accepting, digesting is the fact that they may very well own, end up with owners that will look to run the club in a sustainable, financially sustainable way. And therefore, Chelsea's days of being able to sign 70, 80, 90 million pound players may very well be over for the foreseeable future.
2: And it may also lead to a fire sale of players earning massive money because mm. they won't want that to continue either. So right at the moment, the club can't be sold. So there, there's talk that the government might step in and they might facilitate a sale, but that's all might at the moment. There's, there's nothing saying that they will one of the knock on problems here obviously is that is that outstanding debt of 1.5 billion to another club to another company rather who have been frozen as part of roman's assets so with that situation it makes it a little bit awkward but if look here's what i'll say about roman and giving up on the money if roman didn't care about the money okay if roman really believed that he, if Roman really loved the company the way he makes the Chelsea fans believe, if the sale was not about finances, Roman would sell the club for the 140 million he bought the club for. That's what he would have done. Or he would have sold it for 200 million. And he would have said, I'm going to put the 140, I bought the club for back in my pocket. And I'm going to put the 60 million profit into this charitable organization that I've told you all I'm setting up, which by the way, has still not been set up. If Roman didn't care about the money, he would not have asked for £3 billion. He would have sold the club for what he paid for it. And he would have just written off his losses and walked away. But Roman Abramovich didn't become worth what he's worth by walking away from billions of pounds. And I do think if the government tries to sell Chelsea as a distressed asset, he will fight them toot and nail to get back his 1.5 billion of debt, which is then loaded back onto the club. So any prospective owner has to consider that. I don't know that the government can't, uh, w- whether or not the government can just say, you know, we're just abolishing that company or we're, we're winding them up or whatever we're doing in the debt As the debt go away. You're not getting that money back. I don't know if they've got scope to do that. What I do know is that if it comes down to a court battle, he has the money to go head-to-head with the British government. Like, he has that type of wealth. And do they want years of legal arguments to end up having to give him a payout? I don't think they do. So I, I don't know what we're going to see. What I will say is if the club does get sold as a distressed asset, who is the foremost purchaser of distressed assets in the UK that we know has an interest in football, Mo. <laughs> That would be one. Mike At- <laughs> oh, my word. Wouldn't it Mike. just be the most wonderful thing in the world if after selling Chelsea to the Saudis, or Newcastle to the Saudis, and bringing them into our game, he was the man that booted Roman Abramovich out of our game and took over Chelsea Football Club and ran them the same way he did at Newcastle, where he didn't really care about winning titles. He just wants to keep them in the Premier League. That, that to me, would be the funniest outcome of all of this, but it is obviously very unlikely. My feeling on this is they will find a way to find a real buyer for somewhere in the region of about a billion and a half quid, because that's roughly what the club is actually worth. They'll work with Abramovich so that he gets that money but writes off the debt or he gets that money in lieu of the debt that he had into the club and everybody just walks away from it. But my fear, well, not, it's not my fear. The fear for, for, for Chelsea fans should be, what are we going to get? What type of owner are we going to get? Are we going to get some American who comes in and does a leverage buyout where they buy the club and then remortgage it to recoup their money, load that debt onto the club. And Chelsea as a football club will never be able to sustain that debt the way United do because they're not commercially big enough. They don't make the same type of revenue that United do. Will it be someone like a John Henry who comes in and just cuts back to the very you know bare bones of how to run a club properly, but because we don't have the revenue streams of Liverpool we now can't afford to compete the way Liverpool do. Um I I I see it as very unlikely that they'll get bought by another Abramovich or Saudis or uh or, or anybody else like that. I, I think if that is an, if 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 somebody attempts to do that, we'll see the Premier League push back and block that kind of move.
0: Yeah.
2: So I do think we're going to see in all likelihood an American Team, maybe a consortium, and consortiums are always messy because you get a lot of big voices in a small room and not everybody's going to agree and the club is end up going to end up being run really poorly. Like, you remember when Arsenal were kind of part-owned by six or seven different people, including Kroenke and Usmanov and others, and how, how laboured they became? That's what you end up with when you have a consortium. So uh, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't say there's really a positive outcome in any of this for Chelsea. The Roman era was an era that is outside of the rest of their history of what they are and have been as a football club. I think they will return to being what they were, which is an upper-mid-table team who will potentially challenge for top four the odd year, but not every year, win the odd domestic cup, have some decent runs in the Europa League, but won't be a force again. I think I I just don't see a situation in which they will be. I don't see anyone willing to come in, run them at the kind of loss that Roman has run them at. Mm. Like Roman's run them at a loss every single year for five titles in 20 years. Nobody's going to commit to doing that. Nobody will commit to doing that. So I I think we see Chelsea return to... More of the Spurs-type level, where you know they'll be able to build good teams, but they will get cherry-picked from time to time. They won't have the gravitas or the financial sway to attract players or keep players when your Liverpools, your Arsenals, your cities and your Uniteds come knocking. Arsenal, by the way, will be the biggest winners in all of this because Arsenal were the biggest losers of the Roman of Roman coming into English football, especially because he wanted to buy them first and then ended up buying Chelsea. It was Chelsea who usurped Arsenal as a title contender and it's Arsenal who's suffered since for many reasons, but they'll be the biggest benefactors of Roman going.
0: Yeah, they will. And, um, you know, let's not discount the fact that Newcastle United with their ownership, um, or certainly whilst it will be allowed, uh, will be, spending huge amounts of money uh, to turn them into a force in the Premier League. And it might not happen in the the next year or two, but Mm. it's, in my view, more a question of where on, if if spending restrictions of some nature are not imposed on that club, that they eventually break into the top four and become a very strong uh, team. And, you know, they'll be right up there with your Liverpools, your Manchester Citys. And then, you know, possibly an Arsenal or a Man United in terms of competing for the top four. Chelsea uh, will certainly uh, slip down the pecking order um, if that happens at the same time that they, as a club, Chelsea that is, have to move to a more sustained uh, financial model. Uh, and if that is the case, um, then certainly the club that their fan base has grown accustomed to will never be the same again. And it couldn't have happened
2: to a better club. Yeah, it couldn't happen to a nicer group. And and just before I go, Mo, uh, just in case the Chelsea kit man does listen and doesn't fancy that bit of a trek to Sports Direct, there's a hobby craft about six minutes walk from Carrow Road. You could probably get a bit of tape there. There's actually a Morrison's right across the road from Carrow Road. They might have some (laughs) some sort of tape that you could get uh, aside from that, maybe rock up to reception and see if they can give you some, you know, A4 paper and you can just stick that on, tape it up, bit a bit of sellotape, wrap it around three or four times and you might be OK.
0: Turn the shirts inside out. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there'll be some way that they'll figure it out. But it's going to be quite a hodgepodge way of uh, getting around. A very, very late uh, decision by their shirt sponsor to cover up or hide their logo. And uh, again, it should bring some amusement and countless memes um, later on tonight as we record this. And I can't wait to see what the the kit man manages to come up with. Um, But Dave, yeah, we've really gone around the house with this one, gone into it in a great amount of detail. And uh, yeah, there's certainly so much of the story that we could have talked about even beyond all the stuff we did cover um, but hopefully listeners you have um, had a very very good account of all the repercussions implications for Chelsea of, of this developing story so Dave um, before you go then um, do you want to plug your mini podcasts
2: uh, Two Footed Pod every day at 4pm Daily Red every day at lunchtime Scouted the latest one for Brighton as we also had a little bit of a chat about Chelsea but left most of it for this and we looked at any players from Russia that might be of interest if, if that does happen where players are released from the contracts.
0: Look forward to listening to it. And I'll be back uh, with another Money Talks in the uh, forthcoming international break. And um, so look out for that one as well. So until next time, thanks for listening.
1: We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically